Let's get our Bibles open. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is where we are uh, this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you can find your, find your uh, way in your Bible to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Um, we are a couple of months now uh, into our series in 1 Corinthians, and uh, part of the reason that Paul has been writing this letter to the Christians in Corinth is to teach them what it means for them to be a church that is united, a church that is united. And uh, that focus is really going to take us through in our series to uh, the end of chapter 4, uh, what it means for us as a church to be united as well. And you might remember early on in our series that uh, Paul came just kind of flying out of the gate in chapter 1, and, and he said to them, here's a few reasons why you're actually not united, why you're divided in your fellowship. And, and he says, you're choosing which leaders you want to follow, and that's dividing you. And you have different ideas about where uh, real wisdom comes from, and that's dividing you. And you even have different ideas and wrong ideas of what real wisdom actually is, and that's dividing you. And so in chapters 1 and 2, Paul is writing to correct some of those wrong ways of thinking. And now we get to chapter 3, and in spite of everything that he's just said and the vision that he has laid out, Paul says to them, we still have a problem. It's almost like when somebody comes to you and says, we need to talk, right? Like, you know that whatever is about to come after that statement is usually not very good, right? Somebody comes and says, we need to talk. And that's a little bit of what Paul's doing here at the start of chapter 3. So let's have our Bibles open. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you can follow along in your copy of God's Word as I begin reading uh, verse 1 down to verse 9. This is the Word of the Lord. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for uh, the truth of your word. Thank you for the gift that it is to us. And so we ask now, uh, together in one spirit, uh, Lord, would you teach us what we do not know? Would you help us to see what we have not seen? Lord, would you lead us in the way that you desire for us to go? that all of the praise and the honor and the glory would be given to you. Again, Lord, uh, by your grace, we ask, would you please use this time now to make us more like Jesus? And would you uh, fill me, Spirit of God, to communicate the truth of your word in a way that is clear, understandable, in a way that is loving and gracious, and um, in a way, ultimately, I pray, that will point all of our eyes to the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.
you were to take a walk um, down the hallway right behind this room here uh, and poke your head into one of the classrooms, you would see a, a nursery full of cute little babies. And uh, you would also see in that room a few adults uh, who are joyfully spending time with those cute little babies so that uh, some of you who are parents of those cute little babies can be in here with us. And uh, they are glad to do it and we're glad that they can do it. And if you were to stick around that room down that hallway for long enough, uh, you would see cute little babies in diapers and, and they'd be crawling around on the floor and um, drinking from bottles and playing with little toys and they'd be laughing and singing and books and Bible stories being read to them. And, and though one or two of those babies in that room may be crying every once in a while, uh, many of the babies in that room, probably even all of them on different levels, are just happy to be there. And, and you would look in that room and, and you would understand that that's normal for a nursery. That's healthy for a nursery. That's a good thing when you walk into a nursery. The tragedy, as out of sorts as this might actually seem to, to us, uh, would be to walk into that nursery and see an adult crawling across the floor. And to see an adult playing with the toys and drinking from a bottle and laughing and singing and maybe sometimes crying and, and to see an adult counting on the other people in the room to read books and Bible stories to them. And perhaps the epitome of that tragedy would be for that adult to be in that nursery and think that that behavior is okay. Now, if that were to actually happen here, that would raise a variety of red flags on several different levels for us. Um, and, and I think the conclusion that many of us, probably even all of us at some point would come to, is that the person who was doing that in the nursery is not mature. They have not yet reached the level of maturity that is equal to the stage of their life. And that's basically what Paul is saying here in this passage that we just read in chapter 3. He's saying to them, listen, Jesus has done this work in your life. He has saved you. You are saved by the grace of God. There's no question about that. But Paul is saying to them, so many of you in this Corinthian church, it's like you're stuck in the spiritual nursery when you should be farther along by now in your life. So many of you are still drinking milk from a bottle when you should be eating solid food within your life. And, and it's almost like he says, the epitome of that tragedy is that too many of you within the church think that that is okay. In fact, he says to them in verse 1 that it's actually so bad that even though he knows that they're saved, he feels like he has to talk to them like they're not saved. He's exposing, see, what Paul's doing here in this section, he's exposing to them the problem of spiritual immaturity. Spiritual immaturity. And um, unfortunately, the problem that Paul exposed to the Corinthian church almost 2,000 years ago isn't really that different in the church today. A study by Lifeway Research a few years ago showed that only 45% of those who regularly attend church read their Bible more than once a week. Think about that. Almost half of the people who regularly attend church read their Bible only once a week. Additionally, 40% of those who are surveyed who attend church on a regular basis only read the Bible once or twice a month. So think about that. Right there, you've accounted for a significant amount of people, and of those people, on average and at best, many are only reading their Bible one time a week. 
So when you think about it, when you put it into that kind of perspective, it shouldn't really surprise us that there are many people across evangelical Christianity who are sitting in churches, maybe even sitting in churches right now this morning, who cannot articulate or affirm the very basics of our faith, the very basics of what it means for us to follow after Jesus Christ. Now, I don't want to take anything for granted this morning. Um, I love this church. I love what God is doing in this church. I love what God has done and still wants to do in this church. I love you too much to uh, take anything for granted among us this morning. I don't want to assume anything in our gathering this morning. I don't want to stand here and think that we've all got this figured out because I know that we don't. And so um, for those of you who are already maybe well-versed in the basics of our faith, perhaps you'll indulge me just for a few minutes as we take this opportunity while we're all together to make sure that we are all on the same page. And what, I, what I'd like to do in the next few minutes is, is just make sure that we all understand what it means for us to be a follower of Jesus Christ. What it means for us to be a Christian in the way that the Bible defines what it means to be a Christian. Because there's a lot of cultural ideas about what it means to be a Christian. But I want to make sure that we're on the same page, not taking anything for granted among us this morning, that we all understand what it means to follow Jesus Christ. I want us to understand that in his perfect love and in his sovereign wisdom, God put together the plan for our salvation before time began. And he brought this plan together through the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, his only son and our savior. And the Bible says that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be his. That means then that we are not saved because we are good people. And that we are not saved because there's something within us that makes us worthy to be saved by God. Instead, like our first parents, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden, we have all sinned against the holy God. And our sin is not to be taken lightly because in in God's eyes, our sin against him is worthy of eternal death. We were, in fact, dead in our sin, not even looking for God, completely and totally separated from him and unable to save ourselves. And instead, we are saved purely because of the grace and the mercy and the love of God upon us. However, despite our desperate condition, God brought us to certain places within our life And he allowed us to go through certain experiences within our life. And he brought certain people into our lives at just the right times and in just the right ways to help us see who he is. And through all of those factors, in a way that only God could, he gave us faith to believe in Jesus Christ as the only way to know him and to be reconciled to him. He gave us the gift of repentance where we turned away from our sins and we trust in him. In other words, to repent means that we choose to deliberately think differently about God, we think differently about us, and we think differently about this life that we have been given. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we are regenerated and we are given new life in Jesus Christ our Savior. And in that moment, we chose to believe in Jesus Christ as the Savior of our soul and to be the Lord of our life. Even though, so even though God chose us before time began, we also chose to follow Jesus as the fruit of God's grace and mercy and love within our life. So how does it happen that on one hand, God chooses us, but on the other hand, we choose God? I don't know, but God does. And the Bible teaches the necessity of both. 
So when this regeneration happens within our lives, we are wonderfully freed from the penalty of eternal death, which is separation from God, and it's what our sins rightly deserve. Furthermore, no amount of goodness or badness in our lives from that point forward when we were saved will ever be able to take that new status away from us. It is eternally secured for us by the power of God. But even though we are freed from sin's penalty, we still fight against sin's power. Becoming a follower of Jesus does not make us immune to temptation or to failure or to brokenness. Because even though sin no longer reigns over us, it still remains in us. We fight daily, as the Bible says, against the world and the flesh and the devil. We fight daily to die to sin and to live to righteousness. But the good news, the good news is that at the moment of our salvation, the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Godhead, so Father, Son, Holy Spirit, at the moment of our salvation, the Holy Spirit of God came to live in us. And it is the Holy Spirit that gives us the power and the strength to fight against sin so we can live to God's glory. It is the ongoing daily work of the Holy Spirit that changes our attitudes, changes our behaviors, changes our desires, and changes our outlook. And only as we call on him in prayer and only as we are fed by him in the word of God will those changes begin to take place within our lives on a regular basis. So... Even while we fight in this ongoing battle, the hope of our salvation is that while we are freed from sin's penalty and we still fight against sin's power, we will one day be freed from sin's presence altogether and for all of eternity, and what a glorious day that will be. See, when we understand what has happened in our past and when we can still anticipate what is to come in our future... That should then cause us to evaluate how we live right now. Because Jesus made the implications of God's saving work within our lives abundantly clear. Jesus says that the result of this work that God has accomplished in your life through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is that you deny yourself, you pick up your cross daily, and you follow after him. That means that we put Jesus' desires first. We put his plans first. We put his purposes first. That means that we strive to do everything that we can in the power of his grace to get to know him better. We spend time with him. We listen to what he says. We trust him for what we need so that we can know his plans and his purposes for us. And it means that we put aside our hopes. We put aside our dreams. We put aside our priorities and our plans so that we can do what he says and go where he sends because the more time that we spend with him the more that we become like him his desires then become our desires his ways become our ways his plans become our plans and as that transformation takes place from one day to the next and from one degree of glory to another then we will gladly do what he says and gladly go where he sends so that as many people as possible will hear the name of Jesus and turn to him to be rescued from eternal punishment just like he has done for us this friends this right there, that's the foundation of our faith. That's what everything else in our life stands upon. So maybe you're sitting here and you're like, well, why'd you just spend all that time on that? Like, like why'd you spend these last few minutes just going through that? Because that, friends, that is the engine that drives the life that is lived to the glory of God. 
Like, if we don't get that, if we don't get that as the foundation upon which everything else in our life is built, then all of our efforts towards spiritual maturity will just be about trying harder and doing better. And I think there's probably dozens of us in the room right now who could testify. We could stand up here and tell story after story after story about how that just frustrates us, us to no end. Like, I've tried harder, I've tried harder, I've done better, I've done better, I've checked this box, I've, I've worked through that list, I've gone through all this stuff, and here I am, and I'm no further along now than I was when I started. We're just frustrated by the whole experience. So, back to 1 Corinthians 3. And, and Paul is writing this section now, he's writing to these Christians in Corinth, and he's saying, listen, you're saved. You're saved, like, like all of that, is true for you. You're saved in Jesus Christ, but you've been saved now for a while. And if this message of the cross has truly penetrated into your heart, then it should be showing in your life more than it is. Understand something, loved ones, that uh, Paul is not saying here that everybody in the church needs to be at the same level. Okay, he's not saying that everybody needs to be at the same level of spiritual maturity. Okay, there are some who still need the milk, and that's good, that's okay. And there are some who should be on solid food, and that's good, and that's okay. There's, there's some who are farther down the path. There are some who are just starting on the path, and that is okay. But he's writing to them, and he's saying to them, listen, based on the reality that this gospel is true for you, like Corinthian Christians, based on the reality that you're sitting under biblical teaching, based on the reality that you are part of this church, he says that you should be making steady progress in your life. And in this case, with the Corinthian Christians, he's saying you should be farther along than you are right now. So loved ones, I would suggest to you as we get into this passage this morning that this right here is, this should be a regular examination for every follower of Jesus Christ as we look at our hearts and ask ourselves, am I making progress in my relationship with Jesus Christ? Am I growing in my relationship with him? Am I growing on a regular basis in my love for God? Like, am I closer to Jesus Christ on March 8th, 2020 than I was on March 8th, 2019? Am I seeing this kind of progress within my life? And a big part of the thrust of this passage in 1 Corinthians 3 is to help us understand what to do when we're not making progress like we should. So friends, this, it's a bit of a hard message, but I believe it's a good message. I believe it's a message that we all need. It's a message that I need as well. What do you do when you've wandered off the path towards spiritual maturity? How do you get back on? How do you get back on track? So, that extended introduction this morning to bring us to this. Three steps on the pathway towards spiritual maturity. Three steps on the pathway. Here's the first. You can jot this down. What do I do when I'm not growing spiritually like I should? Uh, number one, address the problem. Address the problem. Look again um, at verse one of chapter three. Paul says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. So remember, in the passage that we looked at last week, he said that um, as children of God, you have the spirit of God within you, and the spirit of God in you helps you understand the purposes that God has for you. But now he's saying, there's a way that you can live your life that will overshadow the work that the Spirit of God is trying to do in you. There's a way that you can live your life that will quench 
It will stifle, it will stunt the things that the Spirit of God, the growth that the Spirit of God is trying to bring about within your life. And, and he says, the longer that you live that way, the more that it reveals how much growth you still need to have within your life. That's why he has to say this in verse 2. He says, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. You'll notice that um, he uses that term, the flesh, three times in the first three verses. It's basically a reference for what it means to live like the world. So here's the point that he's trying to make. If you're going to live like the world, you're not going to grow in the things of God. Like It's just that simple. If you're going to live like the world, then you're not going to grow in the things of God. Like living with one hand in the Bible and the other hand in the world is not good enough for God because God wants both of our hands into his world. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And so if you're trying to live your life with one hand in the Bible and the other hand in the world, then it shouldn't really surprise you that you're not experiencing the depth and the vitality of what it means to be growing in spiritual maturity. Shouldn't surprise you that maybe your prayers aren't being answered the way that you think they should be. Shouldn't surprise you that you feel like you're on a different wavelength whenever you're talking to people about spiritual things and whenever you're talking about stuff like this, about the very basics of our faith. Like, so hear me, I'm, I'm not saying that um, as we grow in spiritual maturity, then all of a sudden all of our prayers just get answered the way we want them to. I'm not saying that. Um, understand that I'm also not saying that as we grow in spiritual maturity that all of our problems just magically disappear. Like, right, there's, again, there's dozens of us in the room who can stand up and testify that as we grow in spiritual maturity, life actually becomes harder sometimes, right? Like, like we know that to be true, and, and so we're not saying those things. I'm simply trying to highlight one of the basic tenets of the Christian faith, that the more time that we spend getting to know God and growing in our love for God, then the more that God has this amazing way of knitting our hearts to his heart in such a special way so that the things that he wants for us become the things that we want for us. See, that was the problem for the Corinthians. They still wanted what they wanted. They, they weren't primarily interested in what God wanted for them. Take a look again at verse 3. He says, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, so think about that for a minute, what's jealousy and strife? Jealousy and strife is the result of not getting what you want. Like you want what you want, but you're not getting what you want. You see somebody else has what you want, and, and you can't get what you want because they have it, and so there's jealousy that rises up within you. There's strife. There's division that results from that. He says, while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? He's not calling them infants in Christ. He's not calling them immature because they were newly saved. Okay? He's calling them immature because they refused to cut the sin out of their life. He's like, I see the jealousy among you. And I've heard about the division and I've heard about what's causing the division among you. And you're behaving in a human way. You're not behaving like someone who has been supernaturally changed by the grace of God. It's like he's saying to them, like, like you're, you're acting like somebody who hasn't been saved. You're acting like someone in the world who doesn't know the grace of God, that, that you have what you want, but you're not getting what you want, and so you're reacting like someone who hasn't even been saved. And see, the thing is, friends, that when this happens in our life, 
Like when we stumble, when we fall, when we sin, even just once, that doesn't mean that we are automatically then spiritually immature. Okay? But when you know that something is sin and you keep doing it, or when you should be at a place in your faith where you should already know that something is sin, but that thing is becoming like this recognizable pattern within your life, then that's one of the telltale signs. You need to look at your heart. And, and that's one of the telltale signs, actually, of spiritual immaturity. Like, I'm not thinking the way that I should about that thing. Here's the point. You can't be committed to the world and expect to go deeper in your faith at the same time. You can't be committed to the world and expect to go deeper in your faith at the same time. If you choose to love the Lord your God with part of your heart and some of your soul, you will not grow. You just won't. Like if you really want to grow, then you have to address the problem. You have to choose which world you're going to live in. And the gracious invitation of God, listen, the gracious invitation of God to you and to me is to come to him and to put both of our hands into his world to follow him with everything that we have. So, so just think about this for a second in your own life. What does your spiritual diet consist of? What are you feeding yourself on? Are you depending on 90 minutes a week on a Sunday morning? Or 90 minutes a week every other Sunday morning? Or 90 minutes a week on a Sunday morning once or twice a month? Like, are, are you depending on that and then expecting that to last you until you come back and do it all again? Like, how much of your relationship with God is getting crowded out by the priorities of the world? The author of Hebrews um, said the very same thing. And when he says this, he teaches us uh, really what's at stake when it comes to this. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. He says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. He's saying the same thing that Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians 3. He says you need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now, don't miss that. Okay? He says the immature are just satisfied with the milk. So the immature are the ones who are, are just content just to lay back in someone else's spiritual arms and tip the bottle back and take whatever they can get from the bottle. They're just content with that because solid food's not even on their menu right now. Like they're just content with the milk that they can get. But he says the mature, the spiritually mature, are those who are biting down on the solid food of God's word. The mature are the ones, notice this, who are trained by constant practice. So the mature are the ones who are constantly letting the word of God be the floodlight that shines into their life to expose what needs to grow, but also what needs to go. Like the mature are those who, through reading God's word and meditating on God's word and memorizing God's word and reflecting on God's word and then doing what God's word says to do, because that is what helps us, notice what he says here, that's what helps us distinguish good from evil. And see, that's the problem right here. This is where we get lost in the swirl of uh, spiritual immaturity. If we are not daily taking the time to be in God's word, putting that into constant practice to see how we are to live this life, then we will not be able to distinguish good from evil. Like it's going to get harder and harder and harder and harder to distinguish right from wrong. And that's the problem in Corinth. 
And that's the problem for us when we drift off this pathway towards spiritual maturity. Evil was taking root and the good was getting buried. So how do we get back on that pathway? First step, address the problem. Address the problem. Second, adjust the perspective. Adjust the perspective. What do I do when I'm not growing spiritually? Address the problem, adjust the perspective. Notice verse 4. It says, for when one says, I follow Paul, or another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. See, the problem here is that the people in the Corinthian church were uh, putting their leaders on pedestals, and, and it may have started out as some genuine encouragement, and that's good, that's fine, but it got to the point where it was creating division within the church, and people are taking sides, and now they're fighting one another over this, and, um, and Paul says to them, like, wait just a second. Like, like, you're missing the point here. Because if you're banking everything here on the reputation and the gifting of your favorite leader, then this is like a train wreck that's just waiting to happen. And he says that, that you're missing that point reveals how much growth still needs to happen within you. So it's like Paul's pulling back here and he says, okay, okay, let's stop here. Let's take a big, deep spiritual breath and let's get some perspective on what's actually taking place within our midst. And Paul says, we all had a part to play. Like Paul planted, Apollos watered. Paul planted the church, Apollos came a short time later and he's nurturing the church. Verse 8 says, he who plants and he who waters are one. In other words, it's like, guys, come on. Why are you picking sides? Because we're all on the same team. Like, we're all one. We're all going in the same direction. We're all worshiping the same God. We're all following the same Savior. We're all working towards the same end. But in the end, even though God uses different people to accomplish different things, in the end, only God is the one who brings about the kind of growth that's going to be meaningful at all. And, and maybe that's where we need to adjust some perspective as well. Because as we get together within our gatherings, within our church family, if we elevate any one person in our gathering and think to ourselves, if I can just sit under their teaching once in a while, if that's going to make the difference, or, or if, if we have this expectation that someone else needs to spoon feed the Bible to me without me doing any of the hard work of developing these disciplines within my life and for myself, then Paul's essentially saying to them, hey, Welcome to the spiritual nursery. Like it's time to grow up. It's time to grow up in Christ. So again, Paul's pulling back and he's saying, listen guys, listen. Who are these guys anyway? Like what is Apollos? What is Paul? And he says here, they're nobodies. Like we are nobodies. He says we are just servants that God used so that you would believe. That word servants in verse 5, um, it carries this word picture of uh, someone who serves food. So we call that person a waiter, right? And that's the word picture that goes along with this. And so Paul's basically saying to them, look, what I did among you and what Apollos is doing among you right now, we're just the guys who brought you the food. And, and you ate that food. 
so that you would be nourished by that food. But notice the implication here because this is really, really important. As the food is put in front of you, you have to eat the food. You have to eat the food. You have to pick up the food, put the food in your mouth, so that as you eat the food, God will bring about the kind of growth in your life that will make a difference. Here's the point. The teacher, the preacher, no matter who they may be, no matter who it is that stands up here on any given weekend, no matter who the teacher is in a Mission City Kids classroom, no matter who the small group leader is or who the counselor is or who the teacher in another class is, no matter who those people are, no matter the preacher, the teacher, no matter how good they are, no matter how mediocre they are, no matter how poor they might be. Listen, the preacher and the teacher cannot produce spiritual growth within your life. Those preachers, those teachers, their responsibility is to put the food in front of you. And according to the end of verse 8, he says, God will evaluate the quality of our work as preachers and teachers, and he will reward us as he sees fit. So God's not going to judge us based on the results that we get. God's not going to judge preachers and teachers based on the number of people who get saved because of a sermon they preach or a lesson they teach. God's not going to judge us based on uh, the number of people who are in a small group or the number of people who get baptized or the number of people who go on mission trips or people who come to a weekend service. He's not going to judge us based on that. Why? Because God says right here in these couple of verses that the results are up to him. He's the one who brings about the results, but he is going to judge us on this. Were we faithful as preachers and teachers in taking the food from the kitchen to the table, so to speak, so the people could eat it and be nourished by it? See, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, loved ones, the preacher and the teacher is nobody. I'm nobody. Like, we're just a bunch of nobodies trying to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody, right? <laughs> Like, at the, yeah, at the end of the day, we're nobody. Like, the preacher and the teacher is a servant of the Lord so that you might believe. Believe in Jesus. See, at some point, friends, we have to pick up the food. You have to pick it up. I have to pick it up. We have to pick up the food, put it in our mouth. Why? Because that's the way that God has designed for growth to happen within our lives. Peter talks about this, this very thing in 1 Peter chapter 2. Up on the screen for you, 1 Peter 2 verse 1, he says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So notice the pattern here. Okay? Because this is the pattern toward spiritual maturity. This is the pathway toward spiritual maturity within your life and within my life. First thing he says, verse 1, name the sin and put it away. That's, that's step one on the pathway toward spiritual maturity. Address the problem, right? Name the sin. Identify the sin. What is it in my life that is preventing me from growing closer to God, from going deeper in my relationship with Jesus Christ? Name the sin and then put that sin away. Why? Because of what he says next in verse 2. So that you can fill up on the sweetness of your salvation. The thing is, you can't fill up on the sweetness of your salvation until you put away the bitterness of your sin. You have to put that away first so you can fill up on what God has done for you. And then why do we do all of that? 
Because verse 3, he says, if you've already come to know God's goodness and grace upon your life, then this is something you're going to want to do. Like, that's one of the signs that you're growing in Jesus Christ. You're not perfect. You don't have it all figured out. But you've got this growing desire within your heart to put sin away, to be, to be done with that sin. You want to be done with that sin. You're fighting against that sin. You want to put that sin away so that you can fill up on the sweetness of the salvation in the gift that God has given to you in Jesus Christ. And notice here as well, notice that this is something that you have to do for yourself. Something I have to do for myself. Like, look at what Peter says here. He doesn't say, go to your pastor and get him to do it for you. He doesn't say, go to your small group leader and get them to do it for you. Go to the counselor and and get them to to put together a plan to do it for you. This is personal. Right? And, and we come alongside of each other within the family of God to encourage each other to grow in these things, to walk alongside of each other because we need to encourage each other daily and all the more as we see the day approaching, Hebrews 10. We need to do that, but, but this is something that we have to do starting with ourselves. We have to feed ourselves on the word of God. Finally, number three. How do I get back on the pathway towards spiritual maturity when I've drifted off? Number three, anticipate the progress. Anticipate the progress. Verse nine, he says, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. When he says we at the start of verse nine, he's talking about himself and Apollos. He's talking about the preachers and the teachers. Um, And the you in verse nine are all the believers who sit under their teaching. So he's affirming the fact again that, that despite different people having different roles within the body of Christ, that in the end, God is the one who does all of the work. God is the one who brings about all of the results. That the preacher and the teacher have the honor of working with and for God, but also that when you take the food that's put on the table in front of you and you eat that food for yourself, that when you do that, there's certain things that you can expect to happen within your life. There's certain fruit that's going to start to grow within your life. Why? Because he says here, first of all, You are God's field. It's like a farmer turns over the dirt and throws seed onto the ground. Like there's a there's a lot of important things that a farmer needs to do, but in the end, a farmer also understands that their contribution to a successful harvest is actually minimal in light of everything else that has to happen. Like the sun has to shine, the rain has to fall, the temperature has to be right, like so many things that are just completely beyond their control. Jesus said in Mark chapter 4, that the kingdom of God is like a man who scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and then the seed sprouts and grows, but the farmer doesn't know how it grows. The farmer doesn't know how it comes about. All he knows is that the earth is producing a crop by itself, and when the grain is ripe, the farmer puts, puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And so Paul says here, listen, you are God's field. Like, and preachers and teachers come along and they scatter the seed of God's word into the soil of your heart. And as you grow in spiritual maturity, as you're growing closer to God, and as the seeds of God's word are planted and accepted and watered and nurtured within your life, then the seeds sprout and the seeds grow, but we don't always know how they grow. All we know is that the spirit of God is producing a harvest within us. And there's fruit that's coming out of our life. Like, you can anticipate this progress. Not only are you God's field, he says, but you're also God's building. People who live in a nice house understand that their contribution to building that nice house is very minimal in light of everything that needed to make it happen. 
Even the people who build the nice house. Even their contribution, as important as it is, is minimal in light of everything else that needs to happen for them to get the stuff that they need in order to build the nice house. Like, there's so much that has to happen. And and Paul says here, in a similar way, understand, understand, God is building something in you. Like, the spiritually mature person understands that God is building something in my life. And as you mature in Jesus Christ, you see with more clarity that God is using the circumstances of your life. He's even using the people that he brings into your life, whether they plant or water, to build something in you that will bring glory to him. That's awesome. Like you are God's building. And when you welcome that perspective in your life, then you can anticipate progress. You can anticipate spiritual growth and maturity and fruit that is coming out of your life because of the work of Jesus Christ in your life. You can rightly celebrate the fact that you're moving on from the nursery and you're moving in to greater things. So listen, friends. Whether we preach or teach, whether we plant or water, whether we disciple or we are being discipled, and regardless of what God chooses to grow or to build within us, our contributions are significant. What we do matters. It matters to us. It matters to God. But when it's all said and done, all of the growth and all of the glory belongs to God.